Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Psalms 95, we've said that three times now, so you should be there. In verse number one, starting, the Bible says, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Verse number six, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Tonight, this is what this is entitled, and I warred with what to call this, and I slapped several different things up there, and this is real generic, but it is what it is. Praise and worship, comma, works and ways. Praise and worship, works and ways. Amen. Will you help me right now as we pray to the Lord that he would enlighten our hearts and minds. Father, I come to you tonight. I'm thankful, Lord. Again, for the opportunity to be in your house. I'm grateful today that we're capable of entering into a place like this. and We can give praise and we can offer worship. I pray, oh Lord, tonight, anoint our minds. Help us, Jesus, to be diligent, Lord, as we look at your word and your scriptures. Let it speak to me. Let it speak to the people, Lord, that are here tonight. God, and we'll be thankful and grateful, Lord, for what you say through and by your word. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. amen. Shake a hand next to you before you're seated. Praise and worship works in ways. The setting of Psalms 95 is this, you know, the Psalms, many of them are, are written during different time periods of Scripture that are found in the Old Testament. Uh, and so to get a little bit of an understanding, really, uh, what the Psalm is all encompassing, you have to understand the time in which it was written, in which uh, David or whoever else, which wasn't just always David himself that penned the Psalms, there were others, the sons of Korah, so on and so forth, people that penned the Psalms, but the setting for the Psalms 95 is that the temple at Jerusalem has just been restored. This is after uh, the children of Israel has been in captivity for approximately 70 years in exile. And they're coming back home to Jerusalem. And there's been the rebuilding, the revamping, if you will, of the city of Jerusalem, uh, the temple, the personal houses and homes of the families and so now it's been restored after being dilapidated, burned with fire in ruins. It now arises out of the ruins and it is restored. And the doors of it are open again, if you will, for worship and praise. And the psalmist then begins in Psalms 95 by alluring the Jews or alluring the Israelites, calling to them to come and praise in the temple that, that's now restored and, and refurbished and, and furnished again for them to praise and worship. So he's alluring them. He's even asking them or telling them, go or come, if you will, and, and, and praise because this, this aspect of praise, I'm talking about praise, has been long neglected uh, during their exile. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Psalms 137 and verse 4, which is during the time of the exile, they, they even spoke after they went to Babylon and, and they're saying, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And it was because after the children of Israel and these Jews went to Babylon, the Babylonians are saying, sing us a song. Sing us one of those songs of Zion. Uh, let your voice be heard with mirth. And yet their response is, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And what they were saying was this, due to the circumstance we find ourselves in right now, uh, this isn't necessarily, well, you know, we've had better days than what we're having right now. Uh, God has done great things for us, but where we're right now, there's nothing that we can necessarily see with our eye or feel within ourselves that God's working for us. It seems like he's against us because we're in exile here. 
We're in bondage right here, so it doesn't seem like anything's going on. So how can we sing the Lord's song in this strange land when circumstances as they are? And that within itself is a very clear statement and clear understanding then what praise is all about. Because praise is connected to what God has done. It's connected to what God has done. And at this point, at that point in Psalms 137, in Israel's life, they could not see that although God had done wonderful things in their past, there wasn't anything right there at the present that they could notably recognize that God was doing. So they're saying, how can we sing praises? How can we do this? We praise because of what God is doing and it seems to us right now as though God is not doing anything. So their praise wanes and their praise dies because they don't recognize God doing anything. All right? And so now though with the temple rebuilt, it's not in ruins anymore, it's not dilapidated, rebuilt, refurbished in all its grandeur, the psalmist says, come on now. You've all been in exile. Your, your praise has waned and somewhat died because you couldn't perceivably see God doing anything in that moment. But look, here's a restored temple. Oh, God's done something. Here, here's a Jerusalem that's now inhabited again and our walls are built up and our gates are in place. It's like, woo, we got something to praise God about. We got a house of God to go to. We got a home to live in. We, we got gates of protection around about our city. So he admonishes them to do that. Verses one through three is the admonitions that he gives. He says, sing unto the Lord. Tell them how to praise. He said, sing unto the Lord. He said, make a joyful noise to the rock of your salvation. He says, come before his presence with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a part of our praise. He says, make a joyful noise unto him with, with songs. And the reason why, he tells us in verses 3 through 5, the Lord is a great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. Uh, the strength of the hills are his. So he's a possessor of some things. The sea is his. By the way, he made it. All right. He possesses that. The, his hands form the dry ground. So that's great. Psalms 95, when we look at it, is divided in reality in two parts. The first part consists of verses 1 through 5. The second part consists of verses 6 through 11. Now, it's in that first part of verses 1 through 5 that it's an invitation the psalmist is given for them to praise God, to extol, to bless the Lord for the things that he has done. The temple's there now, our houses are there now, the gates and all these things are there now. Praise him for the things that he possesses, the seas, the dry lands, everything that he has. But when we come to verse number six, something changes. Notice that in verse not one, the verse leads off with, O come. In verse number six, it leads off with, O come. But the Hebrew word that is translated come in verse one is different than the Hebrew word that is translated come in verse number six because in the beginning he's having them to come and sing praises he's having them to come with thanksgiving he's having them to come quote unquote to praise but in verse number six he's having them to come and worship so there's two different comes the reason being our approach to praise is different than our approach to worship you cannot approach praise the same way that you approach worship your approach is entirely different. And it has been a, a great hang-up throughout the ages that commonly we've mistaken and sometimes even lumped together these two things, praise and worship, making them synonymous as though they are one. We say, we, we, sometimes we have called praise worship and worship praise. Amen. Uh, more times than not, we mistake and praise for worship. All right? But praise... The scripture we look at this this evening, praise has much to do with deeds, what God does. You praise him for what he does with his deeds. And praise is primarily demonstrated by utterance, singing songs of praise. Instruments are used. He said, praise him upon the harp. Instruments are used. There's some type of utterance. There's some type of sound. There's some type of going forth to praise the Lord. You praise Him for what He's done and you primarily demonstrate that praise by utterance. But whenever you go to worship, 
Worship has to do with the character of the object you worship. Worship has to do with who God is and not necessarily what God does. And the primary means or way in which you worship is not by what you utter, but it's how you revere. It's through reverence. Worship is demonstrated by reverence. Praise is demonstrated by utterance. Someone say amen. Amen. To see this, to see and understand this, we read in the Old Testament scripture, we remember Leah, amen, the wife that wasn't so much revered by her husband Jacob. And the Bible speaks, it speaks plainly that the Lord even opened her womb and she opened her womb and she gives birth to that first child, Reuben. And lo and behold, there's a second child she gives birth to. She gives birth to a third child. She gives birth to a fourth child. And upon that fourth child, she says, now I will praise, remember, the Lord. And she calls that son Judah, which we know to be praise. But she's praising because she's thankful for what God has done. He has given her Reuben and these other three children and now this fortune. He's opened her womb while seemingly Rachel's womb is not open. She's praising because of what God has done. In Daniel chapter number 10, uh, Israel is told, they are told that God, here's the, the verbiage, that God is their praise. Israel's told in Daniel 10, God is your praise because, you can look this up in Daniel 10, because he, God, hath done. For the great and terrible things. Since he's your praise and you should, if you will, praise him because of what he has done. Leah's praising him and those are just a couple snapshots in scripture. We could stand up here and spend maybe 10 minutes about going through the other scriptures uh, tonight about uh, correlating praise with what God has done. And so again, the Bible speaks many times in the Psalms. It speaks to us about singing praises how we can praise him upon the instruments, how it involves utterance, whether that utterance comes from an individual or whether it comes from some type of instrument. Praise, again, is what? Directed toward what God has done. Very well. Somebody's learning something. So see, uh, it's good to have that confirmation every once in a while. But the tragedy, the tragedy of the church can be this. Whenever we become praise people alone, and nothing else. Whenever we know how to give utterance of praise unto God, but we never enter the realm of worship of reverence to God. It's important that we don't get caught up in the praise mode and never even go into a mode beyond that, which is worship. Because the praise mode is a real feel-good mode. Praise modes are full. You give utterance, you sing praises, you have the harp and the organ, all the things going, and we're praising God for what he's done, and he's been so good in my life, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And all men, you're starting to feel chill bumps, and, and you feel a little tingling, and some people dance, they praise him. What? Well, you could, it's a demonstration. And man, that feels good. But if we don't watch ourselves, we can go to that that, that, that precursor of entrance into the holies of holies and just get to the praise fact because it feels good and never enter, enter into worship. Because worship isn't about me feeling good. It's about making him feel good. Amen. And so we praise the Lord for the things that he has done. And the thing with that, what God does, sometimes we can note things that he does in our life. And there's other times we say God's not doing anything in our life, although he is, but we can't trace them with our finger or with our eye. And sometimes that influences our praise when we can't perceivably see God doing something. I know I've got some amens in here that's just not saying amen. There's times in our life we don't perceivably see God doing something, so it's harder to praise in those moments because praise is associated with momentary happenings what God does I praise him for the house he gave me thank him for the new job Mm -hmm. praise him for the kindness that he gave me you know some money to meet my bills for this month praise him for healing me you're healed that's a momentary thing it happened it's over with it's done praise him for touching me I felt a touch the other night praise God praise him for helping my family amen but all those things are things that are associated with just matter and time. They're momentary. Praise God for what he has done. But worship transcends that. 
Worship transcends time. It transcends matter. Worship deals with things that never change. Praise. Thank you for my new job. Thank you for that increased money this month to take care of the bills. Said and done and over. Worship, though, deals with something that never changes. Because whenever you enter to the mode of worship and you're worshiping the character of God, you're worshiping God for who He is, God's on record. And God's on record says this, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says, I change not. Whenever you praise, praise is attached to the temporal. But when you worship, that's attached to eternity. Amen. And so, although praise sometimes through our perception can be up and down, up and down, because he's doing something for me, it doesn't look like he's doing anything for me. Up and down. Worship. If you find your place, and if you can get to that place, again, remember last week, of prostrating yourself and bowing before God, and you get your eye focused on Him, that's something eternal. It matters not what's happening or not happening in your life. He's a constant that remains the same and is still deserving of worship. So worship is provoked by eternal things while praise is expressed over something temporal. Now... Consider one of the reasons why it's so important to worship, to worship God for being God, for who he is. The Bible says in Colossians 2 and verse number 3, Sister McGee, in whom, and the whom it is speaking of is God, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him. They are in God. But if I desire those treasures, Sister Sharon, which are all treasures of wisdom and knowledge, if I desire those treasures, then they are to be found in Him, in God. And to try to seek the treasure without seeking who they are in. Someone hear me right now. Trying to seek the treasure without seeking who it is in is a frustrated effort. Because you'll never get the treasure without finding him. You know, you get your little treasure map out, little kids. I mean, I did this all the time as a kid. Loved it. My cousin from Kentucky would come up, Gladrail, and we would make us treasure maps. And we would have the X marks the spot on the ground, and therein lied the treasure. If we wanted the treasure, we had to find the location where the treasure was out. To try to search for the treasure without getting to the location. You cannot have the location apart from the treasure. You understand what I'm saying? All the knowledge of wisdom and all that, it's hid in Him, in God. And so if you desire those treasures of knowledge and wisdom, everything that God has for you, then you've got to seek Him. He makes it that way because you can't get treasure apart from Him. But if we make Him our primary goal, guess what? You hit the mother load. You get all treasure. Yeah. Amen. So we're on the treasure hut tonight. Amen. So if we praise him only for what he's done and not worship him for who he is, it's very faulty. We get a tunnel vision that's going on. Our tunnel vision is just on what God has done. But the big picture reveals that he, well, that what he has done and what he's going to do is all really because of who he is. And I love when God does great things to me. But if I don't watch myself, I can praise him all day long for the gift and forget who was the giver. And in essence, you can't really separate the gift from the giver. It came from somewhere. But whenever we just adore what God's done and forget to adore him being him, it's only because he is who he is that he does what he does. It's only because... God is who God is, that you receive and are a recipient of the good things of His doing in your life. But we're quick to praise Him for what He's done. But sometimes we forget to worship Him for who He is. Who He is brought to you what was capable of being done in your life. Amen. Where we read in Scripture, Abraham, and I, I love this Scripture, and you'll hear me say this several times before between now and the time I die or whatever happens, okay, between here and the rapture of the church. But I love the verse of Scripture that Abraham has went out 
And he has got Lot, part of his family, and brought them back after the kings came down and raided against Sodom and Gomorrah. I love that scripture. And I love whenever the king of Sodom comes out and he says, Abraham, I'll give you some gifts. And Abraham says, no, that's all right. He refused any of the gifts. He said, I'll just be satisfied to have the giver. That's basically what he said. And then in Genesis 15, 1, the Bible says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I love that. That just does something to me. He says, No, you can have all the gifts. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to be on the receiving end of God, Bishop McGee. I, I, want, to, I want God to do stuff for me, but not at the expense of forgetting who God is. Amen. Because worship is tied to things eternal. God is going to interact in my life and sometimes be silent in my life. But regardless, he'll still be God. He'll still be God. Now, worship. I'm keeping track of time. Excuse me. Worship is many times the result of revelation. Worship is born out of relationship. It's born out of an encounter with God. We look through the pages of Scripture and what we see happening most times is that whenever someone has an encounter with God, it's very shortly after that they're worshiping God because worship is a result of revelation. Testing one, recognizing who God is. Many times the Bible says they worship. They, you see the terminology often in Scripture that they bow down and worship, or they knelt and they worship, or they fell to their face. And they, it, it, I'm telling you, you just look up the word worship in your concordant and start looking up all the references. And somewhere along in that phrase where worship is, there's also bowing down, kneeling, falling to the face. It's they accompany one another. Because again, remember, we can't exalt God from last week. I'm sorry, you last weekers that weren't here. But, but from last week, you can't exalt God any higher. He's highly exalted. The only way you can do that is by making yourself lower and prostrating yourself, prostrating yourself before God. And so worship is so much different than praise because worship is about an encounter. Amen. It comes about because of a revelation from God. In Exodus 33, the Bible says, listen, here's the terminology, that when the people saw the cloudy pillar, remember the pillar of cloud that led by day and the pillar of fire that went by night that was revered as the very presence of God? It says when they saw the cloudy pillar, what is there? There's an encounter. There's a recognition. There's the cloudy pillar. That's the presence of God. This is what they have been taught. And whenever they seen the cloudy pillar at the door of the tabernacle, the Bible says every man worshiped. Because worship is a result of revelation. It's the result of an encounter. The Bible says that Moses, in, in Exodus 34, that Moses made haste. He hurried up. He didn't drag his feet. He made haste. He bowed his head and he worshiped. When? It says, when the Lord passed by before his face, Moses made haste and bowed his head and he worshiped. Why? Because he had a revelation. That's God. It wasn't God just fed me today. No, it was that's God. That's the, that's the eternal God. Boom. I'm worshiping, I'm revering, I'm prostrating myself. Because why? Worship is a result of revelation, as a result of an encounter. In 2 Chronicles 7.3, if we look at that real quickly, the Bible says when all the children of Israel saw, everybody say saw, how the fire came down, the glory of the Lord upon the house. Look, they bowed themselves with their faces upon the, upon the pavement. I wanted to say ground. Faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and look what else they did praised the Lord saying utterance someone see me right here both worship and praise but the worship is demonstrated by that, that reverence but praise is demonstrated by the utterance amen an encounter from God though provoked that worship so the more that we acquaint ourselves as individuals and as a church the more that we acquaint ourselves with God, the more that we know God, the more we will worship God. 
you ever admired something or someone? And there's two things that happen. Either the more knowledge you gain of them, it will either make you admire them more or less. Amen? And so with God, you don't have to be disappointed, okay? I'm not setting you up for a fall. With God, the more knowledge you obtain of God, the more you get to know God, it's going to drive you to want to adore him or worship him the more, not the less. And so the more we acquaint ourselves with him, the more we know him, the more we will worship him. Now, everyone, everybody say everyone. Everyone can praise the Lord because God has done something for everyone, whether you're saint or sinner, in church, out of church, doesn't matter. God has done something for everyone, whether it be great or small. Everyone can praise the Lord. But listen, but only those who truly know God can worship God. See, you're in a position different than just the common praiser. Anybody can praise him. But those of you that acquaint yourself with him, what his character's like, his love is like, because he is love, it's a part of him. The more you acquaint yourself with him in that aspect, the more you're capable of worshiping him. And you can only worship him because you know him. Worship is stemmed from knowing God. Isaiah chapter number 6 in verse number 1. And I got, yes, yeah, several verses of scripture that dash one through. We're going to start like erasing those so they don't know how far I'm reading. Okay. Isaiah 6 in verse number 1. The Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. Count it up, that's six. And one cried unto another and said, these are the seraphims that are crying to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of Host. Now, this is kind of curveball in what I've already said, all right? But listen to me. The seraphims are crying out, holy, holy, holy. The train, his train of his garment has filled the temple. The Lord is sitting high up on his throne. It's an encounter with the Lord. They're saying holy, 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 but I must express, although this is what they're saying, I understand the utterance factor that we've looked at. This is not a praise service. This is a worship service. The reason being is, again, worship has to do with things that are eternal, things that never change. God was not doing an action of holy. The Bible says the Lord is holy. It is who he is. It's his nature. It's his manner. It's his attribute. That's God. He's holy. So the angels are crying, holy, holy, holy. There's a worship service taking place. They're connecting with something that's eternal. That's his holiness. They're connecting with that holiness because he is a holy God. They're not just praising him for what he's done. No, they're holy, holy, holy because of who he is. He's God and he's holy. And as a result of their worship service, listen, as a result of their worship service, as a result of the true worship, notice what's happening in Scripture. The post of the door moves, and the house is filled with smoke. And lastly, conviction falls upon Isaiah the prophet. And he says, Behold, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among unclean people. I want somebody to grab this tonight. Conviction falls mostly in a worship service rather than a praise service. It was in the worship service when they were seeing God for who he was 
that upon a prophet, yeah, a prophet that was used to God, that conviction fell and he realized his own sin. Why? Because he seen who God was. See, because I can praise all day long for what God's done for me and never see myself in light of what God's done for me. You understand what I'm saying? But whenever I see God for who he is and I begin to ponder who I am, well, it's a little, uh, I got a little, you know, a little few more rungs on the ladder to climb. But as long as I just thank you, God, for the money, thank you, God, for my home, that doesn't bring no light to who I am. But whenever I say, God, you're holy, God, you're righteous, God is love, and I began to consider myself, it brings conviction into my spirit. And apostolic churches, we need to not just meander in the praise service. We must, and I emphasize must, get to the worship service where we revere him for who he is. Because if we only have praise service, sinners will sit in our midst and never realize who they are or where their station is in life. We gotta point to who God is and his holiness and his righteousness and it reflects a light about where we are and it provokes, hey, I wanna change all of this. Amen. Because they can shout and dance and kick up their heels and run the aisles and feel good and leave home still in their sin. Thank all day long. This is what God's done for me. But we got to get to a place of worship that this is who God is. God's holy. I'm his child. I'm to be as he is. Be holy for I am. That comes from worship. That comes from identifying who God is. Amen. And so Isaiah falls and he realizes, amen, his own sin. And confesses that. Amen. In the Old Testament Exodus, in the Exodus scripture, and this is very simple and elementary, but it's still true. The Israelites exit from about 400 years, 400 years of bondage. Listen, their exit for all that. You say, well, there was a deliverer of Moses. He came and spoke all that. Yes. But remember the key. Remember the situation. Remember the reason that was given to Pharaoh for them to ever exit. So that we can go out to yonder mountain, we can sacrifice, we can serve, we can worship. Pharaoh, we need to be able to get away to worship. The key to the Israelites' deliverance from 400 plus back years of bondage was a call to worship. And Bishop, if 400 long years of bondage had them incarcerated and their way out of that was a call to worship, don't you think for a moment that whoever comes in here in bondage, strapped in chains of iniquity, the freedom for them will be through a worship call service as well. Amen. Be to a, a call to worship. And so they're going to go out there and they're released now from that bondage because, because they answered that call to worship. And so they tarry now in the wilderness for about 40 years. Now, whenever they left, whenever they left their bondage, God had an intended destiny for their life. He did. We understand very clearly that that was Canaan, that they, they, they termed as the promised land, the land that flowed with milk and honey. Yes, it had giants, but, you, you know, you got to take the good and the bad and the ugly and all of it, you know. Don't let the giants eclipse the honey and the, and the milk and uh, the good of the land. So he had an intended destiny for them. Amen. But they're here in the wilderness for 40 years. Amen. And whenever they finally get to Canaan, at the end of their 40 years, after they had already been there and started their wandering, when they finally made it to Canaan, there's only two from the previous generation that actually went to Canaan, Joshua and Caleb. Now, Psalms 95 deals with the difficulty of the others, besides the two, <laughs> the others of that multitude and multitudes of generations that did not reach the intended destiny that God had for them after they had left Egyptian bondage. Now, they got out of Egyptian bondage because of a call to worship, but he talks about in Psalms 95 what their problem was in their wilderness journey, what kept them from God's intended destiny for them. The Bible says in Psalms 95 in verse number 8, 
He speaks to them after he admonishes them to praise and admonishes them to worship. He says, harden not your heart. As in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. And then during those 40 years of wandering, don't harden your heart. Look, when your fathers, you're like your fathers did. He said, when they tempted me or tested me and proved me, and everybody say, saw my work. They did, didn't they? Manna fell from heaven. Quail fell from heaven. Water from a rock. Bitter waters made sweet. Crossing over the Red Sea. God did a lot of things for. Everybody say for them. God did a lot of things for them. They saw his work. But notice what the scripture says in verse number 10. He said, 40 years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. Now look, they've seen my work. They've been beneficiaries of my works. We see through scripture, man, the songs and dances, even a Miriam and Moses, what are they doing? They're praising God for his works. But you know what he says? They have not known my ways. In the Hebrew, literally, my manners, my habits, my course of life, my character. He said they were good and heavy on the praise aspect, but they were lacking on the worship aspect and so he says in verse 11 unto whom I swear my rap that they should not enter into my rest what are you saying he's saying you're not going to make it to the intended destiny I had for you because you majored on praise and you minored on worship you, you praised me for everything that I did and I did a lot for you but in it all you missed out on who I was I don't want to sit under God in this generation and him say to me, McGee, harden not your heart. Be not like the generations of them before you that you're quick to praise for what I've done, but you missed out on who I am. Folks, you're, whenever, whenever you worship God for who he is, you are in essence to a certain degree in telling somewhat of what he does. Because he cannot do anything outside of who he is. You understand that? They say if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it must be a what? A duck. Because a duck walks like that and a duck quacks like that. It's a duck. Well, God does the things he does because he's God. He's holy. He's righteous. He's love. He's true. Because of who he is, he does what he does. Amen. But just to want to get his gifts and not get the giver is to be greatly, greatly misconstrued from what God is desiring of us. Amen. And so we see then here in Psalms 95, Israel blessed the Lord for what he did. They tested, they proved, they saw God work, but they did not know his ways. They didn't know his mannerisms. They didn't know his habits, his course of life. They did not know his character or identify with that. Praised him for the quail. Praised him for the manna. Thank you, Lord, for water. From, we've been many days without water. Thank you for making these bitter waters sweet. That's great. But all those were temporal. They happened and occurred in the wilderness, and they were over. But if they had worshipped, they had tapped into the eternal. Man, it's going to come in the morning and be gone in just a few moments. You've got to collect it quick, he said. Quail's going to come and it's going to go. Your miracle that you receive, it's going to come. It's happened. Maybe you'll still have the results of it in your life, but it's going to go. But if you worship, it's eternal. It's eternal. New house might come and it might be taken next week. You might get the new job, Brother Mason, and lose it in about a year from there. It's going to come and go. But if you stay in the mode of worship, And the reason why some people are, are, are very up and down and not committed in their walk with God is because they've only come to a mode that they know how to praise God just for what he does. And they lose out with God when perceivably they don't see that God is doing anything. But if you get worship and tied to the eternal, things that God does or does not do is going to come and go. But God is still God. He's still love. He's still holy. He's still righteous. Somebody needs to tap in and worship the Lord. Can we raise our hands right now? I thank 
you, God, for being God. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Now listen very clearly. The majority of the generation in the wilderness did not make it to the land of promise. If I basically say it like this, they did not make it to the intended destiny that God had for them. They saw his work, they experienced his work, but they did not know his ways. They, they had great praise, but they lacked something in worship. Listen to this statement very well. There are some places that worship will take you that praise will never be able to take you. Intended destiny. Praise couldn't take them there. It could take them to the border. It could take them to the line that separated them from there. But only worship, reverence, knowing the ways of the Lord could take them on into that place. Amen. They got to hurry on. The good old tabernacle, it's a progression of worship. I won't stay here long, okay? I'm not going to get on a candy stick here. But that outer, that outer court, that natural light, that place of sacrifice, which is worship. We understand. You've heard me say it. I'll say it again, just bear repeating. See, the Lord's giving us a phone call right now. I'm telling you, when you start to worship, when you start to worship, now since I brought that up, that just, that threw me into something that's not even in my notes. <laughs> this is dangerous. But remember in John 4, we're talking about you must worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Whenever you truly worship, God will come looking for you. When you get tapped into true worship and a true worship of the Lord and you just, you're just acknowledging Him for who He is, you won't have to worry about trying to find God. He'll come find you. All right. Maybe next week. But Abraham, remember, he said, we go up to yonder mountain and worship. First time worship's ever used in scripture. What are they going to do up there? Sacrifice. Amen. So in the outer court, there's worship. And that holy place, they entered that holy place where the light was produced. It was a place of service. Remember? Remember last week? You'll worship what you serve. Remember? They dress the light there, that service. They, they change the bread there, that service. They offer incense there, that service. Remember praying through the tabernacle, though? Remember that? Remember before they go into that holy place, those five pillars? Remember the first one from Isaiah? Wonderful. What is that? Exclaiming how wonderful God is, the awe, the inspiring of God just being God. What is that? Worship. And worship at the first pillar prepares you for service into the holy place. Because you worship what you serve. And you enter into there. And then you go get to that holies of holies. There's no produced light there. There's no natural light there. It's just supernatural light. There's no service taking place there. It's just the all-inspiring presence of God. As a matter of fact, nothing else is allowed in there. If I stated in these terms, whenever you get to the place of worship where you're revering God for God, there's no place for your problems there. There's no place for your frustrations there. Why? Because God said he won't share his glory with another. Because we come in here with our baggage and we have certain levels of glory that we have disposed on our baggage. This problem yeah, it has certain mode of attention for us, don't it? And we come in worship, hopefully God's, or come in and praise, hopefully God's, God's done something for us and we praise. But somewhere along the line, we got to just get alone where it's just us and God. But what does that mean? I got to let go of my frustration i got to let go of my problems because God's not going to allow anything else to share with his glory. He's a jealous God, the scripture says, and he wants to be deemed that he doesn't want your attention to be upon anything else. And see, that's the crux of difficulty for us as Pentecostals or humanity, should I say. It's hard to get to the place of worship because we don't want to let go of our troubles and our frustrations and all the rest of life. We'd like to give them attention. We do. 
I've got problems. We'd like other people to give them attention, let alone ourselves. And worship's a hard thing for us because nothing else can get attention at a true place of worship except God. Except God. <laughs> at the same time, man, you have a safeguard. If things are not going well in your life, worship gives you a release. Worship keeps you from frustration. Who cares? He's God. He's eternal. He can block everything. Worship really can be a good mode for you because if you can really get to where you worship God and he doesn't share his glory with another, if you can get sewed in on God, it can help block all the other junk out of your life, out of your mind, out of your thought process if you can get into a true spot of worship. Psalms 90, verse number one. We're running and I will transgress my normal time. What is a normal time, really? You know? Psalms 90, verse number one. The Bible says, Lord, I like this. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. This, this is McGee reading scripture and thinking. Okay. The psalmist is saying, he, sa he said, the Lord has been our dwelling place in all generations. The psalmist is saying that our living was not based upon what he had done for us, but it was based upon who we knew. And verse number two even emphasizes that before, look at this. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, look. Before the earth was formed and the world was created. He said, in other words, God, before you did anything, before you, before there were any deeds of God, there was God. Genesis 1.1 is, in the beginning, God. Then creation comes, his deeds. But God preceded his deeds. So to just praise him for his deeds is really kind of superficial. You're missing the true place of origin. Because before there was ever any of his doing, there was his existence. Oh, I feel happy that I know him. Amen. And so if in this generation we base our living and our dwelling upon what God does for us. Amen. That may be fine and dandy, but what happens whenever you don't necessarily perceive God is doing anything for you? God's not doing anything for you. You've got to get back to worship. Allow him. That's what he said. Oh, Lord, thou art my, thou hast been our dwelling place for, for all generations. We must get back to God being our dwelling place. Amen. He is eternal. Worship is eternal. Amen. I'm just watching here. I'm just watching. There's an old Pentecostal saying that says this. If you wonder where the wonder went, it went out with the wonder. She's scrunching her eyebrows. If you wonder where the wonder went, that all, that just being all inspired, it went out with the wonder. You stopped wondering. You stopped being awed and inspired by God, just being God. Now, I got to move on. I really do. See, I can read faces. <laughs> Sometimes they don't always translate right, but I can read them. She might have been just about ready to sneeze. You never know. I'm just saying. I ain't fool you. Luke 10. I'm not going there. Just suffer me a little, little minutes here. Made of seconds. Milliseconds. Uh, Martha. We go back to this all the time. I got to go there again just because I just feel like something was laid on my heart. Martha was troubled about many things. She's cumbered. Another passage of scripture. She says she's cumbered. The Lord has come to her house. She's cumbered. She's troubled. She's serving. Everybody say serving. She's serving. And she's frustrated. She's cumbered. She's troubled, but she's serving. Why? Because Martha's trying to serve without worshiping. Martha's trying to serve without worshiping. What did Mary do? 
What's, what's Mary's posture? The Bible says she's sitting at the feet. Remember last week what happened when two people met? Both people didn't shake hands and both people didn't bow. One bowed in the presence of the other. And by doing so, they were admitting the other to be superior. Mary comes and she doesn't sit with the Lord. She sits before him. What's she doing? She's worshiping. Remember, worship in its simple essence is prostration. It's being bowed down. It's being knelt over. She's sitting at the feet of the Lord. What's she saying? She's saying, you're superior. She's worshiping. Listen, whenever Mary and Martha leave that day, Mary will be better equipped to serve than Martha was in that moment because Mary worshiped, and you can only truly worship. You can only truly serve what you worship. And so while Martha's over here, I'm frustrated, huh? I'm doing all of this. I'm doing all this. She's frustrated. She's frustrated in her service because she never went to worship. Martha's worship, or Martha's service rather, can only be as effective as her worship. See, we get caught up in this idea sometimes. People get frustrated serving the Lord. People get frustrated in their walk with God. These are the things I should do. These are the things I shouldn't do. And they get frustrated whenever they do the things they shouldn't do. And they don't do the things they should be doing. And they're frustrated. And they're cumbersome. And they just can't get it right. I tell you this evening that sometimes if there's great unsuccess in serving the Lord, it might be because you've not paused to worship the Lord. But you can only worship the Lord if you'll take some time to get to know the Lord. So I think sometimes people's problems in the church, man, I can't do this, I can't do that, and they get all frustrated in their service is because they've been good praisers. God's done great things for them, but they've not stopped just to recognize God for being God because their service will be empowered by their worship by just taking time to know God for who God is. You know, people... God has done great things for some people. I mean so many things. We're thinking, man, you pass some of that over this way, God. Done some great things for God. Great things have been done for them by God, rather. And they can be tremendous praisers, but horrible worshipers. Amen. If you'll stand with me, Brother Mason, if you'll come. We must acquaint ourselves with what we worship. It'll empower our service. It'll empower our serving the Lord. And for that matter, it's something that's eternal. And it's going to last and last and last. Hallelujah. We can just bow our heads. And... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.